Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? You know that sound is the Unfiltered Bands means, yes, another episode of Unfiltered coming your way. This one officially down to episode 181. You could jump on board the revolution on Twitter and, of course, get us an Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your podcast, Equal Opportunists, or we find us on YouTube as well. And the we today, myself, and my dude, Mark Feinstein, MLB.com, MLB Network. Uh, luckily, are you, are you getting sick of getting powdered up the amount that you're doing stuff in, in studio? As somebody who has gotten for so many years grinding to be behind the scenes and now so many years now being in the forefront, have you have you come to enjoy the makeup chair? I, I just feel bad for Michelle and Gina and the makeup folks at MLB Network for <laughs> having to work with this palette and trying to make it look presentable to go on TV. So uh, it's really, uh, you know, I appreciate those people very, very much. Uh, we pay our sponsors off uh, first real quick. We are presented by Bet Online, as always, your number one source for your basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Latest odds and lines, latest matchup reports for the year's NBA playoffs. It's your sports intel headquarters for the season. Covered for all your wagering needs, basketball, NBA, of course, MLB, NHL, hockey, golf, UFC, and boxing. Fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Live betting options in your favorite casino and card games available to you right from your home. Get into the action today. Head over to the website and go to your mobile device and join to be sure to use our promo code. It's believe B L E A V get 50% off a 50% bonus on your first deposit. It's been online where the game starts and we get started here at, at kind of, I guess the quarter turn. I mean, stuff how quick this thing goes. I, I want to start here because it was the biggest conversation overall before we came in and that was the pitch clock. And I think people kind of didn't pay attention even to the other rules of how stolen bases might change or anything else because they got so set on that, like previously on 24 bit, like with how that clock was going to stare at you. How much do you think it's gone smoother than you thought it would be originally? And what, if anything, has stood out to you, Mark, that maybe has has kind of not been as smooth as it could be here in the early going? I actually think it's been as smooth, if not smooth, that anybody could have possibly imagined. Uh, you know, I wondered about the, the television aspect of it. Like you said, that clock just sort of always being omnipresent. It seems like most of the networks that I've watched, most of the regional networks that, that run games, they don't even put it up there until it's like six seconds or seven seconds left uh, when it might become an issue. Um, it's not like the shot clock it's only shot clock in the nba you don't always see that shot clock on the on the screen until it gets to about 14 or 10 or something like that um you know the nfl doesn't put the play clock up there for every play until it gets to six and all of a sudden you're like oh they gotta beat this clock so i think it's been great i think the product itself has been just unbelievably better um and i think anybody who's watched baseball this year would have to agree i've yet to hear one fan um that I know tell me like, yeah, I don't really like these faster games. I really feel like we're missing some of that dead time where guys were readjusting their batting gloves or, uh, you know, pitchers were thrown over to first base nine times, even though the guy was taking a, you know, two step lead off first base. So I, I honestly think that Rob Manfred has reshaped his legacy with these rules, with the pitch clock in particular, um, because the product is just so much 
more enjoyable to watch. I think it's been fantastic. I really, and I, I think getting some of the kinks out more in spring training and having some of the mistakes and games ending because all the, we needed that. And I think it enabled people to have that kind of, you know, Oh crap moment of uh, this is how it's going to go. And, you know, there, there's not going to be exceptions. I, I guess the one question that I have, and I ask this openly because it's one that I've had going into it was whether or not we needed to, we're, we're in May right now when we get to the playoffs and I know, know as baseball fans we're all like this we love the moment you know i think about vin scully the greatest to me to ever do it letting the game breathe right and what does that mean it means the ambient sound of that three two two outs where he doesn't have to speak and you even on radio right can feel all of that you lose a little of that in the big spots because of the quickened pace does that bother you at all have you ever thought about maybe is there a way to kind of have some kind of dichotomy where later in games or later in season or in the playoffs, there's some way to give a little wiggle room. And I know I'm, I'm being, but just play devil's advocate. That's one thing that I've thought of. Well, geez, am I going to be more bothered by it in a, in a divisional playoff game in the ninth inning when I want to feel a little bit more of that impatience waiting for the next pitch? Yeah, I, I, I thought about it as well during spring training when I first started watching games with the pitch timer. And I, unfortunately, there's nothing you can do. This is the game now. And, uh, you know, you're not going to put different rules into the playoffs. The only different rule you're going to see in the playoffs is the ghost runner disappears, which I think is the right call. Um, you know, I, I was not a fan of the ghost runner. I'm still a little mixed on it. But at the same time, when I'm covering a game, I'm perfectly happy not to sit there for 18 innings <laughs> right? on, uh, on May 12th. Oh, you're not so, kidding. Um, you know, and both sides, it's, you know, they both get the same the same scenario. So it's not like a sudden death situation. Um, you know, to me, the only concern I have in the playoffs that I've wondered about, the disengagement rule to me is going to be a bigger issue than the pitch timer. Because, you know, you've got a fast guy on first base in a tie game or a one-run game. Um, you know, the pitcher used to be able to really – do their thing to try to hold them on and, and control the running game. Now it's really more up to the catcher uh, and the pitcher in terms of the timing of the plate. But, um, you know, we haven't seen, you know, remember, even though you can only throw over twice, it's not like the runner can then take a 30 foot lead because you can still throw again. And if you get him out, he's out. If you don't get him out, he gets second base, even if he dies back to first, but um, you know, it, it's going to take a little getting used to, but at the same time, these guys will have had six months of getting used to it and playing with these rules in place. Um, so I think by the time the playoffs get here, this is all going to be so baked in and just so second nature. I don't think it's going to be much of an issue. In a world in 2023 where everybody will consume, you know, right now, six minutes in, somebody has paused and will listen to the rest on the way home in four hours. Right. I mean, that's, that's we how we, right. <laughs> I said, listen, not watch, so they don't have to look at us. Rather than, yeah. <laughs> rather than pause and say, yeah, I'm not going back to that. But you know how it is, and, I, and even when I listen to it, right? I mean, everything is that way. What this has done to me is enabled people to be in that quicker mode they live the rest of their life, where we ask them to slow down, and we love baseball, right? Like, you and I are not going to complain as much. If a game was three and a half hours and it's great, it's fine. But it was when it's not great and it was three and a half hours right. to your point when it was like, you know, two crappy teams in the eighth inning of a game, three hours and 40 minutes in, in an AL game that we don't have to deal with that anymore. I, I think it's been fantastic. I, I want to go to the Rays to me. I, I Is it fair to call what they're doing a surprise 
when we have so many times in different machinations of this franchise been through the, oh, wait a minute, I didn't realize they'd be this good. I think you can call it a surprise that they started 13 and 0 because nobody ever started 13 and 0. Um, and, and when they lost their first game, everybody said, oh, well, they just played, you know, four crappy teams and that's why they're third. Let's see what happens when they play the real teams. Well, guess what? They're 19 and 11 since then. Uh, and you know, do I think they're a team that's going to play 750 baseball for the year? No. Um, do I think that division is just a, a bear and probably the one that benefits the most from the new schedule? Absolutely. Uh, they're not going to have to play each other 19 times this year. All of a sudden it's 13 times. And that's a little more palatable when you take those other 24 games and spread them out amongst the rest of the league, including, you know, some, some bad teams in there. Um, but I'm never surprised what the Rays do because they're just as smart an organization as we have in the game. And I give Eric Neander and Peter Bendix and their whole front office a lot of credit because we know what they're working with, right? They don't have the payroll. They're in a division with teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox that spend a lot, the Blue Jays who can spend a lot, the Orioles who have this just, you know, fantastic pipeline of players coming up. And, um, you know, it's it's amazing what they do. They're, they're consistently a contender uh, with limited financial resources and, you know, do I expect them to win 110 games? Probably not. Uh, but do I expect them to win 100 and, and be right there as the ALE's champions? That would not surprise me. In this and to your point, in that division, e- e- even more uber impressive. I here Here's the thing to me that I guess is a little bit surprising. And I think almost even more powerful about what this organization has accomplished. They used to churn out. It would be seven different bullpen names every year that all were dominant. It would be a new couple of stars. And I'm not talking about when we had the heralded, you know, Matt Moore's and Chris Archer's and, and Garza's, but even guys, look, you you think about how many names we've had that we didn't know. And all of a sudden we're like, Oh, there's another guy the Rays have found for them to do it offensively and have so much of it powered by their offense because they always found a way in that organization, Mark, through trades and development, which they're so terrific at, which we never pay enough attention to, right, from down in their system, to get guys who could fill roles in their pitching staff. How impressed are you that they've done so much of this offensively? Because that usually you've got to pay that dollar to get dudes to do that. That is the surprise, I think, of this season, is that when you look at their lineup up and down, your casual baseball fan has probably heard of Wanda Franco has possibly heard of Randy Rosarena because yeah, of what he's probably. done in the postseason, WBC right? I mean, that, right? You've yeah. the WBC, yeah. and if you've watched yeah. playoff baseball, yeah, I mean, Rosarena's yeah. been a... Yep. The rest of the lineup is not, you know, a couple guys, Lau and Low and, and Isaac Paredes and Yandy Diaz. These are not household. This is not Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and, uh, you know, and, and Rafael Devers. So, uh, you know, I, I think the fact that People are probably surprised because they aren't necessarily familiar with the players. They've got six players on pace for 85 RBIs. That you know, that that's pretty insane. They've got guys. You look at their OPSs up and down the lineup. You know, Yandy Diaz is over a thousand. Rosarena, Josh Lowe, uh, these guys are over 950. Got a couple other guys over 800, 850. It's just mm-hmm. it's 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 a relentless lineup. Even though it's not one that you think of, you know, when you look at it and say how are these guys doing it? And, you yep. know, you're starting to hear, I mean, maybe the most ignorant thing I've heard in the media 
and I don't like going after media, but this was uh, the two guys in New York on FAN, uh, Evan Roberts and Craig Carton, talking about, well, they must be cheating. Something's going on. I'm not saying they're cheating, but how are these guys doing this? There must be something going on. Yeah. You know what's going on? They're really good baseball players. You just yeah, right. raise games. That's exactly really right. That's exactly so, right. And, and it, Mark, I'm not... I'm not comparing the offensive specifically, but you go back to when the Royals were like a juggernaut offensively in terms of the way that they would just score runs and find a way. And we didn't at the time know a lot of those names were either. I mean, that's where we got the development at the time of Moustakis. I know some of those panned out, some didn't, but Kane and Hosmer and those guys. To me, the thing that I love about what the Rays have this year is I go back to, and I know we all remember Blake Snell with that World Series and that whole thing, but you go back to that World Series in general, and to me, covering it, it was always, how are the Rays going to score more than two runs in this game? No matter what those guys had done, and they weren't this prolific in, in the regular season, but you knew, right? I mean, Brasso was hitting, I mean, you had all these different, who in the world against the best pitching if they're facing a Walker Bueller the next night in a game, whatever, who who's going to hit those guys? How much better set does this team seem to be? Because I think, to me, that's the scariest part. And I know how far they went that year, so I, I'm not taking anything away. But now, to me, you have to fear every aspect of this team. This isn't some little engine that could when they head into October. It's, you know, the teams you're talking about where, you know, you look, oh, they're they're really good going first to third. They're really good situational hitting and all that. And when you think about those Royals teams, I mean, you thought about, you know, Lorenzo Cain and Alex Gordon. They were always good taking the extra base. They were smart hitters, situational. The Rays are still that team, except they also have 84 home runs as we sit here right now, which is 19 clear of the next team in the American crazy. League. crazy. It's crazy. They lead the league in home runs by a wide margin. And as we sit here right now, they are two stolen bases off of the league lead. So this is not just a team that relies on thumping the ball, though certainly they can do it. They can also play that small ball. They can also play that situational hitting. They're very well-rounded. Kevin Cash is a very good manager. Their front office does a great job of, of, putting people in the right places, um, you know, shuttling arms up and down when they need to, always making sure that bullpen is, is loaded. Uh, it's They're really impressive. And, you know, you'd like to see more people take note of a team like this and start to make guys like the ones we're talking about more household names because they're great players. And, you know, my fear is that you're gonna get, we're going to get to Seattle in the middle of July and there's going to be like, you know, no raise in the starting lineup, even though they're going to have the best record in the league. And, you know, you'll, the, the, the players, you hope, take and vote some of these guys in. And so, you know, you, hopefully you'll have some representatives from Tampa Bay at the All-Star game because the way they're playing this year, they deserve it. I want to go to the other side of it. The Cardinal way <laughs> is being it's, redefined it, it, this year. <laughs> it is. Okay, so I want to go to let's let's before this year, when I looked at the Cardinal way, it was a, and, and I even have uh, your friends, you, Matt Holiday and guys who have been in there, and they speak to you, and it's like, okay, and then you almost want to be like, you know, you honor off the air, like, all right, bro, like, I get it, but like, it's a little bit much, and like, what like does that cult. mean? And like, right, it's like some kind of, it's like Red Sox Nation, like to me, like when I covered it, it's like, yeah, I don't even, what does that mean, really? <laughs> it's like, so, however, they were professional even if they touted it too much right even when the fan base this is the fan base that says they're the greatest fans it's kind of how everything went 
But from that logo to that city, everything represented the right way to do it, even if we were pounded into us how much it was better than every other way. How have they become the example of how not to do something in such short order? Are you saying that signing a catcher to a five-year, $87.5 million <laughs> contract and then taking his position away five weeks into the season is not the way to do it? Uh, I'm confused, Casey. Uh, look, they're off to you know a tough start, obviously. Contreras has been, uh, you know, a failure to this point in terms of what they were expecting from him. Uh, you know, he's one of the better hitting catchers, but you put him in the DH spot. He's just another guy. Um, you know, Goldschmidt's doing Goldschmidt things. Arenado's not having quite the year uh, that, that you expect from him in some areas at the same time, he's on pace for, you know, 110 RBIs and, and 30 home runs. And he's, you know, he's not the problem either. I think, you know, Jordan Walker came up as this, um, you know, savior. He's continuing the Cardinal way. This is our next great Cardinal. And he still may be. I saw that guy in spring training. Uh, I covered the Cardinals for two or three days in spring training. And, and I mean, just watching him take BP, watching him in games, watching him out the out. He was just so athletic and so big and so strong. And you're sort of like, wow, this is like the National League's Aaron Judge. Like the Cardinals might have this kind of guy. Um, starts out with a hitting streak. And then all of a sudden they send him down. And you wonder. Um, were they just trying to, you know, they were obviously off to a tough start. Was it, all right, we got to do something here and he has an option and let's go let him go down and work on his fielding and work on his strikeouts. And uh, you have to let a guy like that breathe a little bit. You yeah, it didn't, make it, it didn't struggles, make any sense. Right? It didn't make I mean, any sense, Mark. Volpe no, come on. Still had, a, had, a, had a rough patch in there and there was never a thought. I it's remember, April. and I'm going way back here because I'm going to show why there's so much gray in my beard, but in 2005, when the Yankees were struggling and they called up Jimmy Wong and Robinson Cano. And Robinson Cano came up and he was this, you know, big prospect and everything else. You're, you're the second baseman guy. And he came up and he started like two for 30 or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And Joe Torre pulled him into his office and said, look, you're not going anywhere. You're a second baseman. Go. Like, don't worry about your start. Don't worry about getting sent back down. You're our guy. And Cano turned things around and ended up having a really good rookie year, had a very good career until some other things happened. Uh, but you ha I was very shocked that the Cardinals, uh, you know, sent Walker down after 78 plate appearances. It just didn't seem um, like the Cardinal way, so to speak. Uh, but, I mean, really, it's very simple. You look at their problems this year, it's all pitching. Uh, their rotation has been uh, oh yeah, a mess. You know, Jordan well, Montgomery's but, but their best starter. But Mark, two and six they're all the blaming it on two ERA. They're all blaming it on Wilson Contreras. I mean, come on. I mean, it's the oldest yeah, thing. You know is the Wilson, another Wilson. This is the Wilson Ramos thing with Syndergaard. I mean, are, are we really? What's the ERA? What's the ERA since Wilson Contreras left his catching yeah. duties? I, this pitching staff has a lot more problems. And the thing is, you look at the names in the staff. I mean, Flaherty and Michaelis and Montgomery and, and Matt's. This should be yeah. a better pitching staff. Yes. Thing, right? It should be a better pitching staff. It's not. And if it's not going to, if they're not going to pitch to their capabilities, then you could very well see the Cardinals, you know, join the White Sox as one of the big sellers this year at the deadline. No offense to any, and look, Wayno's on that list and I love him, right? And by the way, smaller point, but WBC probably hurt the Cardinals a little bit when you think about, you know, Wainwright at his age going through all the emotions. Arenado was so into Those guys probably slowed down a little bit, I think, at the beginning anyway. Here's the thing. This is not the 96 Yankees or the 98. This is not 
I don't have, you know, Clemens and, and, you know, David Cohn. I don't have the bullpen they had where if all those guys come into my room and I'm Joe Torre or Marmo in this sense and say the catcher's the problem, right? They're back of the baseball cards with all those Cy Youngs and all those all-stars. Outside of Wayne, look, Miles Michaelis is a nice pitcher. He's a good pitcher. We know Jordan Montgomery's had success. We know Steven Matz has been around, had some success. But this is not exactly, I'm sorry, the staff that, like, when they tell you it's the catcher that you just know for sure, okay, there, there's no way it could be any of them. You know what I'm saying? I just can't imagine how they did this. to. And now from Contreras' standpoint, I know nobody looks at this. How is this dude supposed to gain his confidence back or the relationships with these people? Ever. And I mean, I in the five years ever. I agree. And it's, you know, I don't know what they're working on on the side. I, you know, I know he's had conversations with the pitchers. He's trying, but what, what's going to, I mean, look, we're sitting here talking about how bad their season's been. They've won seven of their last nine as we're talking right now. So in their eyes, maybe this is, this was the thing. But when you look at the games that they've won, I'm looking at the scores right now, 12-6, 8-6, 18-1, 9-1, uh, you know, six, four, they're scoring a lot of runs. The offense is doing a lot. Pitching has been a little better. I don't know if that's a direct correlation to taking Contreras out of the catching duties. But again, you saw this guy for five years. He didn't give him $87 million to be a DH. And right now that's what he's going to be. Um, I don't know how he gets it back. Uh, you know, I, a lot of things, sort of like I just talked about with the young guys, you got to work through these things and you can't work through these things in the bullpen. So, no. I don't know. I don't have an answer and for this. It's harder to work through them, though, when you know that everybody in that room is crapping on you, and now you got to go ahead and try and regain their trust. And the last thing I'll say in this is, you know, I don't know what other comparisons to use. We've seen, uh, certainly in New York, where you and I, and you were covering it and saw it firsthand, I'm not comparing Yadier Molina to Derek Jeter. I'm not. But when you think about what Yadier Molina was for all of those years, placing that guy not easy. From what I remember, when Didi was in there at the beginning and making a lot of errors, right? Tino Martinez didn't replace Don Manigley and all of a sudden just immediately be great. In any situation that you're replacing a guy like that, no matter who you bring in, it's never going to be good enough to the fans or the people around because it's not that stature of guy. And to me, I don't think they gave this guy enough room to learn the Cardinal way. Even I, more than that, even more than that, Casey, when you're, you know, Danny Gregorius replaces Derek Jeter. He's one spot in the lineup. Yes, he's a shortstop. He's got to make the plays. That's fair enough. That's true. But those are only the balls that are hit to shortstop. Let's true. say that's, that's true for a game. Yep. You're, you know, you're replacing Don Mattingly. It wasn't like Tino Martinez yep. couldn't catch the ball at first. Yep. yep. Right. Yep. Catching is a whole different world. Yep. And fair enough. Yadier Molina was, you know, arguably no. one of the three he's a Hall of best defensive he's a Hall catchers of we've ever seen. Yeah, he's a Hall uh, of Certainly of his generation, he was the gold standard on defense. Yep. Um, a good offensive player as well, but I'm just talking about his defense. Yeah, work sure. With the of staff. course. Yep. And these guys, I mean, Wayno particularly, the number of years he worked with Yadi, um, you know, and the, all these other guys worked with him last year. It's an adjustment. And you knew it was going to be an adjustment. But John Mazalak and Mike Gersh are really smart people. Like, I, I don't – I'm not looking at them any differently because of the way this team started out. They they played in a division against Wilson Contreras for years, right, since 2016. So it wasn't like they watched him and said, that guy's a gold glove catcher. We got to have – They right. knew they what, knew what they were getting. Yep. They knew what they were getting. Yep. They knew, I mean, Wilson Contreras to me has been – you know, the, the guy I sort of compare him to is Jorge Posada. Yep. He wasn't the best – defensive catcher in the league, but he wasn't terrible. 
He, yep. he was he was better than people gave him credit for. Yes, and caught big games in the playoffs. And I mean, big games Hendricks in, playoffs, in a game six. I mean, he'd been through all that. Yes, right. So you know, and, and he was a good bat. I think Posada's better than Wilson Contreras. Let me just get that out of the way before. Yeah, the no, but no, but I, I, under, but I understand. No, but I but understand, understand the cop. I understand. I don't yes. think yes. he was as bad. As, you know, people used to just crap on Posada's defense. Yes. I watched yeah. him every day. The Roger Clemens and 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 Andy Pettit, Mike Buscini, those guys. Yeah, you know, maybe somebody had a personal catcher on a specific year for whatever yeah. reason because they like to have one catcher be a personal yeah. catcher just to keep them. But Clemens won a lot of games with Jorge Posada behind the plate. Mike Buscini won a lot of games with Jorge Posada behind the plate. So uh, you know, I think Contreras wasn't given a fair shot. Um, and you know, the other thing that I look at, Contreras skipped the WBC. For the exact reason of staying in spring training to work with his pitching staff. So, you know, it, it's surprising to me that they were not able to be on the same page after the fact that this guy who desperately wanted to go play for his country didn't do it because he said, this is my first year here. I got to get to know my pitching staff. And he put a lot of work in there. And for whatever reason, it just didn't click. Let me get two more from you. First, let me go yesterday, and I know the Mets it came out uh, recently before we we're uh, taping this here on a Wednesday that uh, Mark Vientos is getting called up. Uh, that's not going to fix the Mets pitching issues. It's not going to fix the yeah Verlander's nope. home start issue, the getting booed. Um, I mean, I've seen all sorts of different stuff talking about the leadership. I even just saw something I think Kipnis was was uh, speaking out about uh, Lindor's. Not, this is all all the when you have a team that spends that much money at the beginning, right? You know that every mention of your team, for the most part, from the outside and the noise, is going to be negative until you win it all, and then they still may not appreciate it because of the money you spent. You covered and saw this first rate. This is exactly what the Yankees have dealt with for I don't know how many years. The Mets are now living that. So let me ask you, it's still only on such a higher level. And a higher too. level, but it's still only it's still May 17th, right? They're three games under. They're only six something or whatever out of the division because the Braves came down a bit last couple of weeks. Is this still a season that could be everything dot dot dot? Or should there be panic buttons being pressed right now? Where are you on that rational meter of where the Mets are now? <laughs> I tend to be a more rational person for the sole reason that I'm not a fan. If I was a fan, I'd be calling. This if it was the commanders, I wouldn't and, ask you this question. You know, well, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I understand why the fans are having the reactions they are because they're fans and fan is short for fanatic. And I get it. Uh, at the same time, they're 20 and 23. Four years ago, we watched a team that was 19 and 31 win the world series. So I, I don't, I don't usually really pay that close attention to standings probably until June 1st. And even then, depending on where things are, we've seen teams come back from eight games in September. So I think the Mets are going to go as far as their starting pitching ultimately takes them. Um, you know, I think they're counting on more than four, seven and four, eight ERAs from Verlander and Scherzer. Uh, it's dangerous. You're counting on a 38 year old and a 40 year old to, to be healthy and to be their, their vintage selves at ages when pitchers typically are not their vintage selves. Um, you know, Senga has had some ups and downs so far. Um, the bullpen's been better than anybody possibly thought since Diaz went down. 
you know, I think when he went down, everybody's like, oh, my yeah, God. What's they the thought that would be the reason, it not getting to right, him. David, Robert David Peterson, been, by the way. His old David Peterson. Self. Yeah, David Peterson's ERA yeah, was like David 800. Peterson. Now he's sent down. I mean, what a yeah, mess right. that became. Oof. Yeah. So, you know, you look at Robertson and Adovino and all these guys in the bullpen. Yeah. They're, they're pitching great. So the bullpen hasn't been job. a problem. Not at all. The rotation's been an issue. Yes. And, and the offense has been an issue. Yes. I mean, you know, and they and they brought up Brett Beatty, Brett Beatty and, and he's been okay. Yeah. Uh, they're bringing up Vientos now, who was just tearing it up at AAA, and yeah. they're hoping maybe he can give them a little spark. Um, you know, Alvarez has been a disappointment to this point. You know, their offense is basically Alonzo. Yeah. And, you know, Lindor's been okay. He's got a bunch of no. RBIs, but his numbers overall been are not okay. very good. Yep. Um, you know, so I, I think they've got the pieces there, but I think the starting pitching has got to keep them in more games. They need those two big horses. If they can just get to the playoffs, right? I'm a, you, you don't even have to overtake the Braves ultimately. Braves have their own problems with their pitching injuries. Um, you don't have to overtake the Braves. Get to the wild card. Get through the wild card. If you've got Verlander, Scherzer, and a third guy, whether that's Senga, whether that's, you know, ultimately Carrasco. Somebody in the trade market. Tana, whoever right. it may be. Yep. Trade market. I mean, you know, at this point, go trade for whoever you want. Yep. The money's not the issue, yep. right? Um, if you've got those two guys at the top with a, a you know, viable third and fourth starter behind them, they're going to be, uh, whether they're favored or not, they're going to be at least right there with any team in the National League. Because if Verlander and Scherzer are Verlander and Scherzer, that's a really tough task for anybody in the short season. Let me, but let me. It's too early. Let me sneak this one in because I know you got to run. Uh, but I, I want to ask you: you give me just a 60, sixty second pulse. We sit May seventeen. The biggest story to me of the whole year will, regardless of it's prevalent every day, today, tomorrow, or we talk about it more at the deadline or after, and then in free agency, is Otani, Otani, Otani. The biggest star in the sport, where is he going to go? Where is he going to play? As we sit here now, where it's, you know, a little bit quieter on that front and more on, you know, his performances for now and hitting 9 million miles every time. I mean, it's amazing watching this guy perform. Where are you, if you had to kind of put a pie percentage-wise, that he ends this season. Forget about what happens in free agency in another uniform. Uh, I'd say it's like ten percent. I just don't. I don't know that Artie Moreno wants to trade him, whether they're in it or not. There's there's too many tickets to be sold. There's too many TV ratings. There's too many sponsorship opportunities. Um, and there's the you know, small chance, I think you'd have to put it at, that they're able to somehow convince him to stay. Right now, as we sit here, they're 22 and 21. They're two and a half out of a wild card. They're four and a half out of the division. You know, uh, but again, if you go back a year, they were right around the same thing. And then they lost like 13 in a row and Joe Madden got fired. So again, I don't look at mid-May as being a standings where I'm saying, oh, look at the Angels. They're right there. They're 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 so close to playoff position. There's 120 games left. So um, you know, if the Angels are hanging around in the wild card race, they're definitely not going to trade Otani. Uh if they were to go through a 13 game losing streak again and all of a sudden you find yourself 10 games out of a wild card spot and 15 games out of the division, I think you have to at least listen, right? I mean, Perry's a really smart guy. Uh, who's been around this game for a long time, and he knows. I, I have to think he already knows what the odds are that they actually resign 
Otani. And if he knows they're not going to sign him, he's going to have to have that uncomfortable conversation with ownership and say, look, we're not resigning this guy. And we can go out and get five, six, seven prospects for the last two and a half months of the season of this guy. It's it's irresponsible not to do that. Um, so I think, you know, if the Angels are even within sniffing distance of a wild card spot, Otani doesn't go anywhere. The only way he goes anywhere is if this season just completely goes in the tank, um, you know, because you know the teams that are out there waiting to pounce, um, you know, in the offseason, the Dodgers, the Mets in particular, uh, I think are going to be very, very heavy after Otani. So, yeah, it's going to be a big deal. I would say that's the second biggest story. The Baltimore Orioles having the second best record in the American League. You want to ask me my biggest surprise? That's my biggest surprise. I thought they were great story last year. You thought they outkicked their coverage a year ago. I not, not yeah. really outkicked their coverage, but I just thought I thought they were in prime position to go out and get a guy like Nathan Evaldi this winter. Veteran guy, lead your young pitching staff, you know, guy who's been to the playoffs, been to the World Series, had mm-hmm. success, and they didn't do it. And I was a little bummed about that. I said, you know, I think the Orioles, had they gone out and gotten a guy like Uvalde, you know, made a couple of signings, they really could have challenged. And they're, I thought they'd be good this year. I didn't think they'd be second best record in the American League six weeks into the season good. With unhittable arms in the bullpen that everyone's like, wait, what? Who? And Adley Rushman <laughs> it's, is absolutely it's one a, of a, my favorite it, players. Oh, Oh, it's and, and they got they got more coming. It's it's amazing. They got more coming yeah. too. Yep. Mark, appreciate you, man. Thanks for all the time. Guys. The process doesn't always work. It's working in Baltimore. Yeah, did <laughs> nice nice shot at the Sixers. <laughs> Take it easy, buddy. Appreciate you. You got it, man. All right, thank you. There he is Mark Feinstein. Join. Appreciate him being on board as continue here on unfiltered and you could join us on Twitter. Of course, at Casey Stern along the way, you can get us on YouTube and be with us throughout all the social platforms. We'll be back for episode number 182. As always, we're presented by our good friends at bet online. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.